considering giving aid to the Taliban now. They're the ones we've been fighting for, what, 16 years or so, and now we're going to turn... Well, they've already given them aid. They've given them billions and billions of dollars worth of war equipment, and now they're going to turn around and give them money, apparently, on top of it. Even as we export some of them here among those refugees, I'm quite sure. And another note about that, uh, the vermectin that some have been saying would help keep COVID away uh, and apparently is effective against it. I think that's the word. It's close to that. Uh, they're giving it to the Afghan refugees as they come in here by the tens of thousands. They won't give it to Americans. So what does that tell you? It means that they want them not to be infected, and they want them alive to help terrorize this country, and they want you dead. This is the only thing you can make of that. They'll give it to them, but not to you and me. Along that line, uh, two counties in the state of Washington just declared that you cannot go in any public place without a vaccination card. Uh, no bars. No in restaurants that are indoors, any indoor place, you have to have a vax card now. It's, it's going to increase, increase and increase until you can't do anything without one. And on that note as well, uh, both Sweden and Portugal have banned all visitors of any kind from the country of Israel coming to their countries. So how long before people from the church uh, are banned from travel to this country or that country and maybe to the United States? And how will they gather? I don't know exactly how that's going to work. I know they're going to, but how much time is there left for this to occur before this thing is totally locked down? Uh, God knows and he has a plan in mind for it, so we'll see how that works out. In the meantime, up at Camp Grayling in Michigan, uh, they have at least 500 Chinese troops who've come over from the Canadian border into Michigan who are doing their training and their maneuvering in Camp Grayling on U.S. soil. Uh, many of them apparently speak quite good English. And uh, they're being trained to come in and help take over. I think that we are getting very near civil war. Remember Jeremiah 51, where it says that there will be ruler against ruler and violence in the land. They're thinking seriously of removing Biden, both the Democrats and the Republicans at this point. And I think I mentioned last week that Kamala Harris then would be president and maybe the next move would be for her to appoint uh, Hillary Clinton as vice president and then something would happen to Kamala Harris <laughs> for sure. So who knows? But last week where we left off the end of chapter 10 of Hosea, it says, In a morning shall the king of Israel utterly be cut off. So uh, we're going to lose a ruler somewhere along the line, as I said last week. And 
these things appear to be getting closer and closer, and a civil war uh, would be enough to cause uh, the United Nations to come in as peacekeepers and so on. So we're getting very, very near that. General Motors and Ford both shut down almost all of their production because they can't get the chips, and Chrysler's probably not far behind. I don't know how much production they're doing right now, but that's about as big an industry apart from the defense industry in this nation is automobile production, and uh, shut down for the most part. There's still a little bit of activity, but not much. How far is it till the financial collapse? We don't know, but uh, civil war and financial collapse are very, very near. And we are in the middle of the great deception of pharmacy, as it says there in Revelation 18. We're, we're there. We're deceiving the whole world with this COVID thing and giving us the kill shot. So, well, another thing, one reason they shut visitors from Israel off was that the incidence of new, new infections in Israel is five times higher among the vaccinated people as it is among the unvaccinated. So the vaccination is causing it to spread faster. In Israel at this point, apparently five times faster. So they're, they're getting their desired results more and more as time goes on. Let's go back into Hosea 11 then. God rehearses a little history here where he says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt or Mitzrayim. He delivered them through the Red Sea, referring back to that. And even when we applied this spiritually to the church, uh, when the church was new, he delivered us from the sin of the world, Egypt. And then we didn't come all the way out and wanted to go back in. And that's why we got blown apart. So we'll not spend a lot of time on church. I did that in that series 23, 4 years ago when we first went through the Minor Prophets, and that was the main focus, was how this applied to the church. But now we're, that's ancient history. I mean, it's still occurring to some degree or another, but it's mostly done. Now we're seeing that we're in the midst of this, as far as the nation is concerned, just like uh, I told anyone, you, if you heard the tapes, that it would be this way. Uh, God revealed that it would happen to the church and then the nation. And now we're going back through it and applying it to the nation, and we're right in the middle of it, just like we were right in the middle of it in the church when that started coming out as understanding. So I called them out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to Balaam and burned incense to graven images. So God says, I called my son out of Egypt, and then other forces called them back into the world. 
Satan and some of the leaders, and even when Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments, uh, they made a golden calf and got led right back into the sin that they'd just come out of. Uh, I taught Ephraim also to go, to walk, to go where they needed to go, to do what they needed to go, be, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. So God has tried with this nation to cause it to be a God-fearing nation. And there were some people who feared God in its early beginnings, but that dissipated more and more until we have essentially a godless nation today. He says, I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. He blessed this nation beyond the blessing of any nation on earth, just as Genesis 49 said he would do. And we had it all, and everybody wanted to come to America. Uh, that's changing, and it's going to change dramatically here in the next months. I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid food to them. So he blessed us in every way. Uh, we had freedom like hardly has been known in the world since the beginning of time, uh, due to the Constitution and, and so on. And God blessed us in every way. He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrians shall be his king, because they refuse to return. This time it's going to be the Assyrian. Uh, Egypt represents sin throughout the world, but the Assyrian specifically uh, is coming to be the leader of the coalition against America. And the sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels. So maybe the cities represent the trunk of the tree where most people are gathered, but the branches go out into the countryside, so it'll be urban and rural destruction by the armies that come in. Because of their own counsels, they don't counsel God, they counsel with themselves and lean to human understanding and we have gone astray because we wouldn't listen to God. And my people are bent to backsliding from me, will not come the direction I'm trying to lead them. Though they call them to the Most High, not at all or none at all would exalt him. Or in my margin it says, together they uh, exalted not, would not exalt God. Doesn't mean every individual, but overall, we would not exalt God in our nation. So they backslide, like a backsliding heifer, going the other way, pulling away from God. How shall I give you up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver you, Israel? How shall I make you as Adma? How shall I set you as Zeboim? My heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. Now, those two cities mentioned there were on the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
he absolutely, totally destroyed them. Not one inhabitant left. And you'll recall there in Genesis, God thought about destroying all mankind and just giving this whole thing up and washing his hands of it. But then he saw Noah, and he decided that he would allow man to continue. He took Enoch out of it, moved him away, and then he left Noah there as a witness against the world for a hundred years. And he's had the church here nearly a hundred years now as a witness here at the end time, just like in Noah's day. And it'll probably last a hundred years. We're getting close. But he said, he doesn't want to make Ephraim that way. How will I give you up? Am I going to totally destroy you? Then he says in verse 9, I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man. So he says, my inclination, my emotion, my feeling is sometimes... You are so evil, I would just like to just wipe you out. But I'm not going to give in to that. Now, he's already said, I'm going to have the Assyrian come in and destroy you. But he's also saying, I'm not going to totally wipe you out. And as Ezekiel put it, I'll save almost 10% out of this nation. 90% and over will be killed before the millennium starts. But not all of us. And he reiterates that here. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of you, and I will not enter into the city. In other words, I'm not coming in there and totally wipe it out. They shall walk after the Eternal. He shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. So he's going to bring this destruction... And the roaring and anger of God are ultimately going to cause people to begin to think and to fear what God is doing. And it is that kind of fear that is built up that will stand them in good stead when we get to the millennium because they will suddenly have learned over a very short period of time, really, to fear God in the way that we've gone over 430 years now without it. So it's a very short period of time compared to our history. The next five, six years probably, and that's it. It'll be time to fear God. And they'll tremble as a dove. (coughs) But of the land of Assyria, and I will place them in their houses, says the Eternal. So we are going into captivity, and we're going to learn to fear God in captivity. That's where Israel will begin to wake up. Ephraim compasses me about with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. (coughs) But Judah yet rules with God and is faithful with the saints. Now, physical Judah is scattered among the other tribes of Israel, and they still do not look to God. The only ones that are due are the ones, the spiritual Jews, (coughs) the faithful saints. 
That would be the church. Or the ones faithful among the church. See, we are, we are almost at the end of the prophecies against the church. <coughs> Only at this point do about 10% remain that are faithful. And we don't know, have any idea who and where they are. And it's just like this country is going to be at the end of the Holocaust that is now upon us and will get worse until we're totally destroyed and taken into physical captivity. <coughs> and then only about 10% will remain physically and be ready to serve God. So the church is at that point, and it is not long before it will be gathered together to serve God. And that 10% will tremble in fear before God and be seeking to obey him. And will come to have his righteousness, as Isaiah 54 says. So the faithfulness is in spiritual Judah, not physical Judah yet. They will get there as well when this Holocaust is done. Then he picks up again where we are. <coughs> Ephraim feeds on wind. My aunt used to have a saying that kind of seems to fit here. We'd ask her, what's for dinner? And she'd say, wind pudding and walk around. I never knew what that really meant, except it wasn't food. That, that much I had figured out. But if you feed on the wind, you're not going to get much to eat. Maybe a gnat down your throat would be about it. So we're eating or feeding on that which will not profit. It will not gain anything. And I think it also is probably referring to famine. Because those that are in power right now are doing their utmost to destroy our food supply. So that we go into famine and pestilence. They're already enacting the pestilence on us. And the famine will come right along with it. Not food, wind. And follows after the east wind. So they're looking to the Assyrian, to China, to places other than God, to help. This is like a silly dove, we run to the Assyrian. The ones that God has said are going to destroy us are the ones we go to to try to get help. That's how stupid we are at this point. They do make a covenant. Uh, let's see. They follow the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. We have a lot of lies coming out of Washington. And desolation is being exacted upon us and is getting worse and worse. There was somebody who had been in the military who just... Uh, put out a video and said that we've been being lied to by the military for the last 20 years. He, of course, he of course was relieved from duty. <laughs> and they do make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried into Egypt. So we're making worldwide alliances and hauling oil all over the world and receiving it from all over the world and making these trade agreements, but they're all going to fall through, all falling through. 
The Eternal has also a controversy with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. Now this verse widens the emphasis on Ephraim, particularly in Hosea, the United States, and goes on to include Judah and the rest of the tribes of Israel, all of Jacob, not just Ephraim. We're supposedly the leaders, the elder brother. So the worst is coming on us, but it will also come on the rest of Israel and Judah. According to his ways, according to his doings, will he recompense him? Then he goes through that history. He took his brother by the heel and the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Yes, he had power over the angel, or Christ I think it was, and prevailed. He wept and made supplication to him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke with us. So Jacob was in a place represented by idolatry, and yet he had enough understanding about him that he clung to Christ, and there, through him, God spoke to us to hang on to Christ, not to turn loose, and we'll win in the end. But we have to endure to the end. We have to hang on. We can't, we can't give up. <clears throat> so he cites uh, some things about Jacob's character and how he started cheating Esau from the very womb and on forward, and yet in all his character problems, Jacob had some very, uh, very strong strengths to go with it. But here we are today, we don't have much strength left as part of Jacob, and we're not listening to God. So here's a warning that we better do that. So he spoke with us through Jacob, verse 5, even the Lord God of hosts, the eternal is his memorial. Jacob can look back to that and say, we struggled and we found favor with God by hanging on. And that's exactly what he's telling you and me, and that's what he's telling this nation. You better, you better hang on to God. Only a few of the church are, and only a few of the nation ultimately will. About a little less than 10%. Therefore, turn you to your God. Keep mercy and judgment and wait on your God continually. Think this nation is going to do that at this point? It's a warning. It's an instruction. Then he describes this. He is a merchant. The balances of deceit are in his hand. He loves to oppress. Think we're not being oppressed by the big businessmen, the corporations, the big companies today? Oh my, yes. They're making slaves out of us. So God says, lean on him, hang on to him, but that's not where we're headed. And Ephraim said, here's Ephraim's reply to that plea from God. Ephraim said, yet I am become rich. 
you tell me this, but I'm rich. A lot of times when people feel blessed or become rich, they think it came from God. That's not necessarily true. Uh, Riches are not an indication necessarily of blessing from God. Most riches are obtained with chicanery, deceit, lies, and murder. Is how most of them come by. That's not a blessing from God. I have found me out substance in all my labors. They shall find no iniquity in me that were sin. We've looked upon ourselves as a Christian nation. In God we trust. And so on and so forth. We mouth those things. But it's not true. That's the problem. Self-righteous. God's nation. God's chosen. God bless America. We have all kinds of sayings about it. And we think that we're better than anybody else. No, we're not. In fact, he calls us the worst of a heathen. He says there in Ezekiel 16, he says, I don't even know you. You look like Amorites and Hittites to me. You don't even look like Israel. Well, we look like the rest of the nations of the world today, only we're the leaders of the heathen. We're the great whore of Babylon in Revelation 18. We're the worst. How can God make a model nation of us when we're a model of Satan's way? No wonder he's thinking of wiping us out. And I, that am the eternal, your God, from the land of Egypt, will yet make you to dwell in tabernacles as in the days of the solemn feast. He said, in spite of yourselves, I'm going to bring you through, some of you, into the millennium. And then you will worship me. I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions, and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Now what did the prophets say? They said, obey God, and Israel wouldn't. They said, obey God, or you will be cursed and taken into captivity, and they were. And the prophets also said, God will deliver you from that. And he did. And now he says the same thing in an end-time prophecy, Hosea mentioning the other prophets. He says, I'm telling you the same thing they told you. It's going to be similar similitudes to the past. You're going into captivity, but then I will deliver you when you repent. Then he says, is there iniquity in Gilead? Surely their vanity. They sacrifice bullocks in Gilgal. Yes, their altars were as heaps in the furrows of the fields. Our vanity, our ego, our idols are everywhere. And Jacob fled into the country of Syria, and Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he kept sheep. So he says, you used to be humbled. You used to work. <laughs> Herd the sheep. 
and work for a wife. That's what Jacob did. Now we're getting to be a nation that doesn't want to work at all. Businesses can't find workers. What a contrast. And by a prophet, the Eternal brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet was he preserved. Speaking of Moses, of course, there. So God says, look at history. You've sinned, and I've taken care of you. Now what's it going to be? Then he says, Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore shall he leave his blood upon him, and his reproach shall his Lord return to him. So he says, you could be delivered like I delivered you in the days of Moses. But you're not paying attention, and therefore you're going into captivity, and the bitter anger of God is going to come down on you. It's in progress now. I think we all recognize that. This isn't a prophecy for the future. We're in it. And it's getting worse day by day, week by week, as more and more restrictions come. And they're not going to back off this time. I've watched it over the last few decades, and it would seem to be building towards something. And then it would back off. And then it would build again, and it would back off. Because they thought, well, maybe, maybe, this is it. And then it would, it would back off. Not this time. I think I can say that pretty ad- adamantly. Can't say the word adamantly. Uh, it won't back off. They've gone so far now with their end game by introducing the virus and so on that they have to see it through. If they don't see it through now with some false flag thing that makes them really lock us down, or how do they go about it, they know their lives are in danger. Because if they don't go ahead and take us down, there's going to be a backlash and there's going to be some people hanging by ropes or shot with bullets. See, Australia is already going into complete lockdown. Why? They took their guns away. That's the only thing holding it up. Americans would right now be going to FEMA camps and being killed if the Democrats in power thought they could get away with it. But they know those guns are out there. And they're trying to take them away. So I think, as Jeremiah says, they're going to start a civil war and let us kill each other with those guns. But some rulers are going to be killed as well. Violence in the land, ruler against ruler. So it's not just among the people, but among the rulers that there will be violence. It's coming. Another thought went through my head of something just recently happened. Now it's gone. Maybe it'll come back. Into chapter 13 then. When Ephraim spoke trembling, when they were still a God-fearing nation, when they still thought of God, when we still offered a Pledge of Allegiance under God when I was a child in, uh, not kindergarten, didn't go there, but in primary, the early years, we said that. Not anymore. But when he offended in Baal... 
he died. He says, you're just as good as dead. The spirit, the dedication to God, whatever it was, has died. It's gone. And now they sin more and more. And have made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding. All of it the work of the craftsmen. They say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. Or sacrifice to the idols. Or give through the mouth obeisance to, obedience to the idols. Satan worship is getting wider and wider and wider in this country. Many of the politicians are outright Satan worshipers, and nearly every pop singer is a Satan worshiper. Luciferian, all the way through. And yet people still listen to their music. I mean, you start naming some of them, Miley Cyrus, Katy Perry... Uh, Madonna, uh, what's her name? Uh, oh, I can't think of many of them, but they're all outright Satan worshipers, and will say so. Do I want to listen to that music that I know is put out there by someone who worships the devil outright and openly? Don't think so. So, what is the music? It's the work of the craftsmen. Skilled people put that kind of thing together. That's not the only field. That's just one that comes to mind. Therefore, they shall be as the morning cloud and as the early dew that passes away. Sun comes up, that stuff goes away. As the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor, and as the smoke out of the chimney. Several analogies there to show how quickly this is all going to go up in flames. It's all going away. This society, this culture, the Satanism, God is going to destroy. Uh, You're not going to have any of that when people are dying of starvation and eating each other in this nation within the next months or a year or two or however long it takes for us to get to that position. They're working hard at getting us there. Yet I am the eternal your God from the land of Egypt. I go all the way back, he says, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. He's just reiterating the first commandment. Worship me. Don't worship idols. For there is no Savior beside me. Nobody is going to save you. Your military is not. Your satanic God is not. Nothing you do is going to save you. I did know you. He says, I did. I knew you in the wilderness and the land of great drought. Now, they were going through problems there. Why? Because they had sinned and gotten into slavery in Egypt. God delivered them. And as soon as they got across the Red Sea, they started murmuring, complaining all over again. So he put them through 40 years of dying in the wilderness. 
But he was with them. He knew them. He fed them all the way through with manna, with quail, gave them water in spite of their intransigence and sin. So he says, I knew you back then. And I let all of you die before I took your children into the promised land. So he's reminding us of that. I knew you back then. According to their pasture, so were they filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore, have they forgotten me? So he gave them manna, and that wasn't good enough. They wanted quail. Was that good enough? So God would bless them, and they would turn against him anyway. What about us? God has given us more blessings here in the end time than any people on earth have ever received. And yet our heart has been exalted. Our vanity, our ego as Americans, we whipped up on the whole world and thought our way was the way. No. Our way is not the way. It's not God's way. It's our way. And it's a wrong way. They've forgotten me. Therefore I will be to them as a lion. As a leopard, by the way, will I observe them. Leopard lays in the tree, he watches you. And then when he sees an opportunity, he jumps out of the tree and slaps your head off. A lion chases you down and kills you. That's the way God is going to be to this nation. And it started. He's already slapped a few of us down. And it's going to get worse as the days and weeks go by. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her cubs and will rend the call of their heart. The covering over our heart is going to be exposed. God is going to see what the heart is. <laughs> He's going to show. He already sees. He's going to show what our heart has been and how bad it is. And there will I devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. Maybe it's not speaking necessarily of lions and bears, but the beast of Revelation is certainly going to devour us. And that beast is already beginning to show itself in this pharmaceutical deception that has occurred. We're already being torn, and the seeds of our destruction have been planted. A lot of people are dying from the vaccinations, and it's built in that millions and millions of people, maybe billions, will die from the vaccine and the booster shots because it's being scattered all over the world. It says it deceives the world, not just America, there in Revelation. Verse 9, O Israel, you have destroyed yourself, but in me is your help. Now, he did in the prophecies talk about famine and pestilence. He talked about a war and us being destroyed by the sword. He's not having to do this. We are doing it to ourselves. He says, you've destroyed yourself. 
We have weather wars going on with China and with Russia right now. And this drought over the West, I don't believe, is just natural that God did. They are causing these things to happen. Oh, I know the other thought I had. People were trying to get back into New Orleans recently. And they had set up a roadblock and said, we're here, we'll offer you a vaccination. And this man said, I refuse their vaccination. And they said, well, you're either going to get vaccinated or you're not going to get back in the city. So he turned around and left. So they're already setting up roadblocks to be sure you get vaccinated. And I've read that they're going to set them up on the borders of the states. And if you are not vaccinated and will not be, they're not going to say you have to go back. They're going to say, we'll give you a nice ride to a fun camp, FEMA camp. Our girl Hillary called them fun camps. We'll have fun killing you is what it means. You've destroyed yourself. But in me is your help. I'm the only one that can help you, but you're going about destroying yourselves. They are destroying our food supply lines. They are causing farmers to plow up their fields and paying them to do it so there will be shortages of food. This is going on right now. I will be your king. Where is any other that may save you in all your cities? And your judges of whom you said, give me a king and princes. There's no man, king or prince, or anyone you can appoint who can save you. He says, I am the only one who can. I've decreed this. I'm going to be like a lion and a leopard and a bear to you. And since I've decreed this, no one can save you out of it but me. I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. Remember when Israel said they wanted a king instead of serving God? And he said, if that's what you want, I'll give you a king, but he'll tax you. He'll make life miserable for you. You want a king? Okay, I'll give you one. How'd that work out? Not too good. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is hid. We still try to hide our sin in this country. It's getting more and more open as time goes on, but Americans have always tried to hide sin. <laughs> I saw a pickup painted. It was on the Internet. I don't remember where I saw it. But on the side of this white pickup, somebody had written in black. It was his pickup. It says, my, my side chick is pregnant, but please do not tell my wife and son. I'm sure that was written on there by the wife. She didn't want to hide his sin anymore. She was going to make it known. But Americans generally try to hide their sins because to some level we still have a bit of a conscience and shame. 
Not much left. It's disappearing, but a little. Verse 13, the sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. I, I've never met a woman who has ever told me she enjoyed childbirth. I don't think there's one yet that has. He said back in Genesis, it's going to be a difficulty all the way through, and it still is. So he says, this is the kind of pain you're going to have. And he is is an unwise son, for he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. Micah 4.10 says, give birth, don't hesitate. We are pictured in quite a few prophecies like a woman in labor. And he he says in one place in Isaiah, we push and push and we only give wind. Can't bring forth. Trying to bring forth Christ is part of the analogy there in Isaiah 7. And we have trouble. We We can't seem to give birth to Christ in our lives. We work at it, but our carnal, human, self worshiping nature gets in the way. So we never get past square one. (laughs) We're still in the birth area, travailing, in pain. He says, no, get on past that. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. You know, if if we'll just bring forth Christ in our lives, he'll ransom us from the grave. He's going to put us in the grave. Part of that ransom is going to come from some, perhaps, that he saves from the grave. And perhaps it also could refer even to those that come up in the great white throne judgment out of the grave. Could be both. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Repentance shall be hid from my eyes. So, God says, yeah, you're going to die. But I am going to take care of the problem. He's talking here about his plan of salvation. That even though he's a leopard, a lion, and a bear to us, increasingly, until this thing is done, I'm going to ransom you and bring you back from the grave Give you life and opportunity. Though he be fruitful among his brethren. Now hasn't this nation been very fruitful among the tribes of Israel? (coughs) We became the leading nation, the most wealthy nation. That was Manasseh, Britain for a while. But we eclipsed that by far before we started downhill. So though he be fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come, the wind of the eternal shall come up from the wilderness, and his spring shall become dry. Where's the wilderness? American Southwest for the most part. Is our river drying up? Is Lake Mead almost empty? Is Lake Powell almost empty? Is the Colorado slowing down and drying up? How can you get more 
current event than this. It's here. He shall spoil the treasure of all pleasant vessels. Is Las Vegas one of our pleasant vessels? Is that where we love to go play? Is that where we look to? Phoenix? Fine city with trees and grass and golf courses everywhere. This water makes a pleasant place out of even something like that. But it's drying up. And 40 million people are going to get very, very thirsty. Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? He shall spoil the treasure of all pleasant vessels. Samaria shall become desolate, for she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword, their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child shall be ripped up. The UN forces will not care. In a woman who's seven, eight months pregnant, they're not going to want to rape, they'll find some who aren't. So instead, they'll take a sword or a bayonet and just rip them open and let the baby fall on the ground. I saw something similar to that in the animal world one time. I took my dad hunting, and he'd not hunted really. But he managed to shoot a deer, and the bullet just went right down inside the skin and ripped the skin open and all of her entrails fell out on the ground and she was still running as her entrails fell out and then she went full speed through a barbed wire fence and all her insides fell on the ground at the fence and she made it a few more yards and fell in a draw completely gutted out, field-dressed already. I've used it to show my dad could field-dress a deer quicker than anybody on earth. But it was a sad thing to watch, this poor thing with her guts hanging on the ground, running through a fence and ripping them the rest of the way out. Now, maybe that's dramatic. Maybe that draws a picture. Maybe that helps us understand what it's going to be like when these soldiers come in and rip up our pregnant women and have their babies and their guts fall on the ground. That's coming to America very soon. You think those UN troops are going to care? You know, somebody was remarking the other day about how pleasant and how um, kind the Japanese people are if you visit Japan. That's not the way they were in war. Not at all. They were cruel and mean. And the Chinese were probably crueler and meaner. And Russian soldiers aren't going to care either. And neither are those from Africa and wherever UN members come from Because this nation is hated above all places on earth today. And if they can wreak vengeance on us, they're going to be very happy to do it. So it's coming. 
Maybe within months. Maybe it is a year or two away. I don't know. We'll see. But it isn't very far. But this will be done. Haven't we been talking today already about things that we see happening right here before our eyes right now? This is mentioned in the same context. It isn't far away. There isn't much time to prepare. We better get ready. Chapter 14. O Israel, return to the eternal your God. What we just read in verse 16 is about as bad as it can get. Unless you compare Deuteronomy 28 about women eating the babies after they're born. Now that's pretty dramatic and pretty awful as well, but that's coming here very soon as well. The conditions that lead them to ripping the women open are the same ones that lead to other women killing and eating their babies when they're born. We've already shown we're willing to kill our babies. Millions and millions of them. Now, instead of giving them to make vaccines with, they'll eat them instead. So the next verse, God starts turning it around. O Israel, return to the eternal your God, for you have fallen by your iniquity. What we just read in verse 16 is because of our sin as a nation. So he says, turn from that. Take with you words and turn to the Eternal. Say to Him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. We'll give Him the sacrifice of praise and the fruit of our lips instead of the idols that we've been worshiping. Take away iniquity means forgive us. Help us repent and quit sinning. This is the beginning of the millennium when this happens. He's telling us right here, once all these things have come upon you, if you're still alive, turn to God and ask for forgiveness. And give Him the praise of your mouth instead of your idols. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods, for in you the fatherless find mercy. Is the dollar going to save us? Is our material wealth going to save us? What good is a dollar bill going to do you when it takes a trillion of them in a wheelbarrow to buy a loaf of bread if you can find one? What good are our cars and our boats going to do us when we can't cross state lines, when we can't get in the lakes, when Lake Mead and Lake Powell are dry and you can't go there in your boat anyway, and there's no gas, or it costs you $20 a gallon or $1,000 a gallon or whatever it's going to get to, if there is any. The work of our hands, our gods, aren't going to help us a bit. I will heal their backsliding. What he's going to do is to teach us to lead on a rope, to come along willingly to him. We've been pulling back like a 
heifer planting all four feet this whole time as a nation. He's going to break us to lead. That's what the bear and the lion and the leopard and the Assyrian are going to do to us. Oh, maybe I better quit planting my feet and start kind of following along. I'll heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Isn't that what he tells us as a church? We don't deserve him to turn and smile on us right now, do we? Aren't we still carnal? Don't we still have thoughts we shouldn't have? Don't we still have holes in our characters? Don't we still struggle with ourselves in our self-righteousness, which is what God blew us apart for in the first place? Don't we still struggle as human beings? Sure we do. Our change hasn't come. Our nature hasn't changed. Our nature is still to be deceitful and desperately wicked. And we have to fight it daily. But he tells us, at some point here, very soon now, he's going to turn and smile on the faithful remnant of his church and give them His righteousness there in Isaiah 54. And bless them in spite of themselves. I will love them freely. I'm going to do the same to this nation, what's left of it, when the millennium comes. For my anger is turned away from Him. Well, it won't be turned away until after the seven last plagues. Then He will be done with that. And He will turn and love them freely. What an incredible God we have, brethren. We can look back on our lives and we can see how far we have lacked being like the Father and the Son. And we should be praying like the publican with our face to the ground, realizing that we still are far, far, far from what we ought to be. And I think of God and Him turning and smiling on us and blessing us. And I have to think, I don't deserve that. I still don't give him 100% total allegiance. I still don't love him with all my heart. I try, but there's still either 50% of it or 1% of it that I struggle with day to day, every day, to be just like God to think only godly thoughts, to bring every thought into the captivity of Christ. Every one of us falls short of that. So it is going to have to be His mercy, His forgiveness, His grace, His patience that allows Him to turn and say, well, you've come this far, I'm going to help you with the rest. He's going to do that. Help is on the way. Even this sick and dying world, as bad as it is, help is on the way. Their help isn't going to come for yet a few years, the beginning of the millennium. Ours is coming very, very soon. So we can be asking Him to do that. And we can be praying that He will make up the difference 
because we fall so far short. Please bless us and help us in spite of ourselves. We can't do it on our own. Work your salvation in us. Help us, O oh great God, to be what we ought to be instead of what we are. That should be our plea. That should be our prayer. Because no matter how much we overcome, we're still going to come short of the mark. Now, does that mean we ought to all get in a fetal position and say, oh, poor us? No. Come boldly to the throne of grace and ask for help in time of need. He takes no pleasure in those who shrink back, but of those who come to Him and say, I can't do it. Help me. Help me, O oh great God. And bless me with being a part of your remnant that helps show the world who God is. What an incredible blessing that will be to be part of that. Pray that He gets you there. Pray that He gets us there. Our Father in Heaven, not my Father in Heaven. Because He's the only one that can. We can't do it on our own. It won't happen on our own. I would love them freely, for my anger is turned away from Him. Well, God realizes there comes a point, even with His remnant, that even though we work at it and we try, we still fall short of the mark that we have our eyes set on. The total character of the Father and the Son is the mark. And we all fall short of it. So He knows that. And there comes a point where we work at it, and we work at it, and we're still not there, but He says, Here, let me help you. I'll send two to teach you, to help you, and I'll send my Spirit, and I will send Jesus Christ, become Emmanuel, to dwell with you and help you get this done. That's what He's going to do, because we're not going to make it otherwise. And we kid ourselves and fool ourselves if we think we can get ourselves there. It has to be with His help. And He says right here, He'll give it. I will be as the dew to Israel, for He shall grow as the lily and cast forth His roots as Lebanon. Grow into a beautiful flower, into a stately cedar of Lebanon. That's what He intends to do with us. Isn't that what He says in Ezekiel 17? I'll crop off a twig from the dry tree and cause it to grow. That's the cedar of Lebanon he's talking there. Cause it to grow. Same thing he says right here. His branches shall spread, and his beauty shall be as the olive tree, and his smell as the sweet cedars of Lebanon. That's what he's going to make of us. He says that. That's his promise. So we need to be looking forward to that and hoping that that happens soon to his remnant, his faithful ones. It'll be by his spirit that we grow, 
not by our own willpower and humanness. We're limited. We can only go so far. Without his spirit, even as Christ said, I can do nothing. It has to be by the power of God. What does he tell Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4? Not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the eternal. Cry out for his spirit. Cry out for his help. Come boldly asking for it. Not sniveling in a corner saying, I ain't going to make it. Yes, you are. Seek God the way you ought to and you will. That is the one that he takes pleasure in. It's going to be, when it's all said and done, in spite of us. None of us is the level of righteousness we need to be. None of us is at the level of faith in God that we need to be. There's work to be done. And at some point, without His help, it simply can't be done. And I don't mean the kind that we've been getting. I mean when He really begins to intercede and intervene and send His Son to dwell among us to give us the help that we need beyond what we've been able to generate by being begotten of His Spirit, but not helped as much with it as we need. What does He say there in Joel 2 at the end? I will pour out My Spirit upon them. They'll dream dreams and have visions and so on and so forth. It's going to be an upgrade beyond what we've experienced thus far. That's what we need to be praying for, is that upgrade. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. So, those who come under Christ and dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. Doesn't he tell us in Isaiah 54, 55 I guess it is, that we'll have wine and milk without money. He's going to give us blessings like we've never known. The sin thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, now when all this happens, Ephraim shall say, what have I to do anymore with idols? Why did I go there? Why did I do that? Look at what Worshiping God brings all these wondrous blessings. Wow! I have heard Him and observed Him. I am like a green fir tree, not like a dead branch. From me is your fruit found. Didn't Christ tell us to bear fruit? From God we can bear fruit. Now, Here's a question for you at the end of this book about this nation and about the firstborn, the church. Because Ephraim was made the firstborn physically and the church is in 
the firstborn nation, Ephraim, for the most part. So he's talking to both the church and the nation here. Who is wise, and he shall understand these things? Who? Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the eternal are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. Are we going to be among the wise and the prudent? How many people do you think there are on earth who understand the book of Hosea that we just went through? I'll bet there aren't a hundred people on the face of the earth who understand what this book is talking about and know what is happening and shall happen. That's just a number I pick out of the air, but it isn't many. Who is wise and will understand? Even the remnant haven't heard and don't know this message. But they're going to see miracles from the Emmanuel who comes and is dwelling among us. And that stone... The eyes of all seven churches are going to turn to, and the faithful remnant are going to come, and they are going to come to understand this book. Several thousand of them, but they don't have a clue today. You're about it. Let's get there. Let's lead. Let's cry out and go boldly to the throne of grace and get help in this time of need.